In this episode, Ryan and I discuss the importance of philosophy, 501c3s and the infinite banking concept, the importance of proper classification, and we even talk a little bit about hucksters. So thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. I'm your co-host, Ryan Griggs. And here we are. It's in the middle of the week, not on a Saturday, um, without a topic. <laughs> we have topics. And uh, we're glad ones. to be here. I'm glad to be here. And I'm glad you're here. So what are the topics? Well, it's just come up a lot for me lately in the last couple weeks. Um and conversations with new people, uh, new clients, new individuals implementing the infinite banking concept about, and it's sort of sort of fallen out of these repeated conversations that I have a lot with a lot of different people, right? You start to notice some of the, sim- and we've covered a lot of this before, but questions about policy design, questions about what the other recommended YouTube advisor people claim is the quote unquote correct or only correct design, right? Um, I won't use any of the popular buzzwords just because I'm so sick of them, but those kinds of questions and people, you know, the viewer knows and sees it and hears about it, you know, uh, there's only one way to build a policy and, you know, our way is the best way and all of this kind of thing. And it's, so I think the general atmosphere, sort of the milieu like kind of the background or the context is that um there appears to be a lot of conflicting opinions and conflicting views about optimal or proper or appropriate implementation and consequently design of the actual product does the design of the policy um and i think it's i think it seems inexplicable like I, th- I think it appears as if it's just a you know, bunch of people who disagree and we don't really understand why. And that irritates me because I <laughs> like to have clarity. Uh, but the more I think about it, and, and, and I kind of get triggered. And, uh, and <laughs> I, I think the, the viewers know this. You know, tell us something we don't know, young Mr. Griggs. <laughs> well, I get fired up about these kinds of things. And You're passionate. That's, yeah. And, that's okay. And I wonder, you know, why? Like, I'm not, mm. you know, what, what, what really is it that makes me get engaged or triggered? Now, how uh, much money did you bring to the table? And we'll have a session. <laughs> <laughs> I need one. Uh, and so the more I think about it, it's like, and I've, I've been having this, the, the conversation with, with new clients and it's, it's just become more and more, specified I guess um, and that's th- that I think there's a particular philosophy that comes out of becoming your own banker and that I learned from Nelson and from you and I think when people read Nelson's book and they want to do what Nelson taught that they it wouldn't hurt to abide by the philosophy he promoted right but I don't think we think in those terms, right? It's like with the, you know, the no. my 2019 and the 2020 talk, or more than 19 one, uh, at the Nelson Nash Institute think tank on capital. Uh, the, my point there was that f- the f- financial industry and, and the economists and all the financial people 
especially the entertainers on the unlicensed uh, financial entertainers on television, we don't, they, they don't even think in the correct terms, right? It's all about investing and all this. And it's like, and we, we just assume that if we're talking about something financial, it must be something about investing. And we jump over a lot there, right? There's a lot that's just assumed and, and, that's, a, and that's a problem. So I think a, a, a task <laughs> that, you know, the point there in that talk was to point to, like in that case, Carl Manger, uh, you know, point to some, an, an economist who had provided the correct vocabulary so that we could even have the right discussion, <laughs> you know, about the value of capital and of retaining control you over know, capital. words. I mean, if we're going to talk about capital, let's have a clear understanding and agree on the definition of capital. Right. That would be okay. Right. Okay. And, and I think... Uh, I think that's the appropriate direction. You know, it all goes back to Nelson, you know, just proper classification. Yep. In order to classify correctly, you know, you got to identify and articulate correctly in the first place before you can even attempt to classify correctly. Uh, and so I think that's what needs to be done throughout the industry. And in this case, what we're talking about today in the in terms of, you know, what is the correct design or is there even a correct design like I think the unspoken part that we need to cover is that there is a specific philosophy that comes out of becoming your own banker. And that philosophy should motivate and affect the structure of a given, uh, a new dividend paying whole life policy built for the infinite banking concept, right? Even what it means to build a pro build the contract for the infinite banking concept, like that assumes a philosophical pre uh, pre like original position, uh, right? Yeah. And and I think at least that, a fundamental basis to from which to start. Exactly, exactly. No and and I think <clears throat> a lot. I don't think that um, like with on philosophy and philosophical questions on most issues in most fields, be it science or economics or religion or whatever. I think most people, especially people who are in a, a professional or commercial capacity in those various fields, don't specify their own philosophy. Like we don't even cover it. <laughs> and and it's, so it's like, no wonder this haphazard approach no wonder it appears to be the case that there are so many haphazard approaches to the design of dividend paying whole life. It's like, because we've not even covered like what we're trying to accomplish here. Right. <laughs> and so, and, and that makes it, if you don't have that philosophical grounding, well then I can get the page of numbers in front of you, yeah. right? The non-contractual illustration mm -hmm. and dazzle you with that so that I can create some construct on which to hang my argument to motivate you to sign so that I can get paid. As soon as possible. Yeah. There you listen, there's a, there's an awful lot there to unpack young man. Yeah. No topic. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think Philip. Philosophy is very important. And I tell young men, told you, told my boys and every young client and um, that I have the opportunity to spend time with is you need to get your philosophy right. Mm -hmm. You need to develop and understand and fully embrace your fundamental basic philosophies in life. You know, and I don't know, Jordan Peterson, Jim Rohn helped me an awful lot, yeah. you know, years ago and then uh, spiritual mentors or... Um, philosophy is vitally important. 
And there is absolutely philosophical differences in every field, especially the financial world. So, and Nelson, and, and then you bring up the 2019 Nelson Nash Think Tank talk that, that you gave in the 2020 talk. And, and so I'm going to, that's exactly what I spoke to mm-hmm. in 2020. Yeah. That Nelson Nash Think Tank, which, um, that will be made available to clients only. That has been discussed in previous episodes. So, and people have listened, and uh, and thank you for all the comments and the encouragement. James, when do we want to hear? We want to hear. Ryan built it up better than <clears throat> than maybe it is. I accurately described the effect, and everybody <clears throat> understood it. And that, okay, that's and, just correct. And I, I appreciate that. So. My encouragement is to get your fundamental philosophy in order and then build upon that um, and strengthen that, right? Um, When it comes to philosophical differences in the financial world, you know, they're they're deep and, and they're very diverse and they're fundamentally, some of them are opposing. Oh, yeah. Right, okay, so, and because there appears to be or there actually is people coming from different philosophical positions mm-hmm. it it almost looks not necessarily haphazard there does look some hap, haphazardness is out there but then it almost looks at, to me it would look like if I'm a consumer just coming in to discovering the infinite banking concept and um, you know all the things that are coming up on our left, your right. Mm-hmm. It, it almost looks like there's nothing there but a bunch of differing opinions. Uh-huh. You know, you have but the old. There is no right answer, kind of thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It all comes down to just, you know, so ambiguous, mm-hmm. or uh, everything is so similar. It's all mm-hmm. the same. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. every agent does the same thing. Every advisor does the same thing. The older guy has the most experience. The younger guy doesn't have any. Um, and I can go on and on. Um, and, and which may very well be the case yeah. sometimes, you know. However, whenever... And it's been my experience, you know, when people are exposed to this idea and it's caught, not taught, it resonates with them. Like, oh my gosh, this is good. I gotta, I gotta find out why. I must understand why. And then you have, you know, different, um, you know, attitudes. Mm-hmm. Right? Some are like, oh, I'm gonna jump right in. If I look at this and and it's the illustration, third-party software, whatever it is that we've talked about, and they're typically thoroughly confused by the time you're drugged through that the consumers typically thoroughly confused by the time they're drugged through you know these machinations um i see that happen a lot and then from that i see that there's the type of individual who is philosophically they're drawn to that it's complicated. Mm-hmm. You're an authoritarian oh. figure. You sound confident. You know, the suit that you're wearing is a little janky. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, you know, you, you're not really brushing your hair or your teeth, but it sounds good. 
you know, and the lighting may be good and the sound may be really good and it's promoted, I mean, produced very well. Um, you know, so my, my point is this, that you can be mesmerized and some people like that. Yeah. And then you can, they can attempt to mesmerize you, mm-hmm. but you just continue searching and you go right past all of that. You wind up at the Nelson Nash Institute, and there's still more vetting to be done there. Um, but those two types of individuals are philosophically different, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> and I'm just saying that um, if I have to use me, the producer, the agent, the advisor, the consultant, whom, however you promote yourself, if I have to use complicated calculators and 45 columns on a spreadsheet and maybe more than one spreadsheet to make a life insurance illustration say something that it's not saying to get you to say, okay, I love it, I'll buy it and you know, go through underwriting and pay a premium, um, I'm just saying shame on you. Mm-hmm. But if you back up, it's very fundamental, very philosophically, very fundamentally different than what did Nelson teach. Right. It is not that. Yeah. <clears throat> and typically, I mean, those fancy illustrations of third-party software creates a lot of questions, you know. Um, and the more you understand about life insurance or the more you understand about the philosophy of the infinite banking concept and becoming your own banker, at the fundamental, basic, simple, right, foundation, that causes even more questions, mm-hmm. right? When you have a good, mm-hmm. solid understanding and you're comfortable, you know, you understand some of the terminology, you understand some of the structure. I mean, you don't have to be a life insurance expert. I'm not saying that. Right. All right. And when you spend time with a competent, um, educated, passionate, dedicated, uh, purist <laughs> in the infinite banking world, that will repulse you, all of those yeah. illustrations. Yeah. And I'm just saying that there's a fundamental difference in philosophy. The people that are attracted to that, the people, the agent, the advisor that needs to use that to convey the power of life insurance, they themselves do not understand mm-hmm. the power of life insurance. They themselves, in my opinion, um, they do not understand the power of becoming your own banker. Whenever you know, I'm trying to make a life insurance policy, which is typically structured dividend-paying life insurance policy. Here's 2020. They're going to illustrate somewhere out. It's going to be a three and a quarter to four percent internal rate of return in general, annualized over a long time period. Mm-hmm. And whenever I have to take that and use third-party lenders to borrow money, to pay a premium, mm-hmm. to leverage, to have a high cash value. And then to leverage that cash value, and you do that a couple of times, I mean, it, it almost looks like I'm printing money. Mm. Oh, I'm actually doing what the banks can do. Oh, no, no. All right, and then, and so now I can, I can use this third-party software to illustrate 10, 11, 12, 14% rates of return. Like, shame on you, and that's the very reason the term huckster yep. comes up in this podcast quite often. Yeah. And I'm just saying that's one example. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> it's so 
um, unnecessary. But obviously it works because people are getting paid. You know, people are buying and selling that third-party software, <clears throat> paying the renewals or the residuals or the, <clears throat> excuse me, the ongoing licensing fees. That, and now while we're talking about third-party software, because I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite a couple of clients on as, a, as guests and, and just have them share. Whenever you take a five, six, seven, 10, 15, 20, I don't care, two, three, five-year-old existing life insurance mm -hmm. policy, mm -hmm. and then you run those cash values, the dividends, the premium through this third-party software, which is maybe a customized Excel spreadsheet, Right. <laughs> that every not every I'm not an Excel ninja but I know some you're right, right? Yeah. and they're out there and they're legitimate and I have to talk to you so I take a, a policy that is a good policy with a good company right? um, and not based on my opinion based on the structure and based on the history of the company okay and then you run those that enforce illustration through this third party software and then you create a new illustration and run it through this third-party software and the whole design the whole purpose of the software is to beat up the existing policy mm -hmm. right when the future is unknown the dividends are not guaranteed from any company and then some companies direct recognition non-direct recognition may or may not pay a dividend <laughs> when there's an outstanding loan right? mm -hmm. and all of these things and I bring that up because uh, story from the front line. I'm going to insert right here. Yep. But it fits nicely. Okay. <laughs> a guy calls several months ago. Nice guy. Salt of the earth. You would you would enjoy him. You would like him if you met him. Right? Which is the same for all of our clients. We get to work with the coolest people yeah. on the planet. Thank you. He's like, James, I know I'm not your client, but I just don't know what to do with this particular policy. Yeah. Would you look at it? And and I'm like, yes. <laughs> you know? My wife tells me <laughs> often, James, yeah. here's how you form the word. She grabs my cheek for you, those who are listening only. <laughs> and she says, you can form the word no, thank you. <laughs> um, but I have a hard time doing that. So I said, sure, send them on. And so here's, here's the deal. He's like, I had this policy, 10 years. Mm -hmm. Right, I met Nelson Nash. Oh wow! Right, and and uh, bought a policy through a practitioner who retired quickly after the policy was structured. And it was a bare company, bare policy, nothing wrong with it. And uh, he got to the point where, in the tenth year, he's like, you know, I think I want to buy more. I want to convert this. What I, I don't know what to do. Right. So he talks to a huckster, and the huckster runs his illustration through third-party software and contorts a policy illustration, all for the purpose of making this look bad and making that look good and making him feel bad so he can make a decision to yeah. uproot a tree that just began producing fruit. Right. But, you know, the huckster gets paid and life insurance companies off the risk. What? Mm. The life insurance industry tolerates this? Mm. Wonder why. Okay, we'll talk more about that. <laughs> All right, and so I looked at it, and I'm like, yeah, you know, let's point out what's really going on here without any third-party software. 
and and I didn't know all this at the time. Mm. I didn't know that he had talked to someone. They ran it through third party software. He just asked me to review his illustration. What should he do? Should he convert it? You know, should he exchange it? And so I told him what he should do. I'm like, you should embrace this policy. Mm-hmm. Right? He said, well, I want to buy a new policy. And so we did some work. Um, but after that phone call, and I think we did a go to meeting. He said, thank you, James. He said, you know, I talked to a, an individual who asked for an Enforce illustration. I sent it to him. They did this third-party software, built another illustration, and I walked away from all that thinking that I made the dumbest mistake I'd ever mm-hmm. made in my life. I felt bad. I felt guilty and depressed that I had even purchased this and paid premium for 10 years. And he admitted, he said, you know, I lost track of some of the loans. You know, I could have done more. And we're all human, right? All right. Um, After the call, he's like, I never, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize if I paid X premium today, this year, there's going to be X increase in cash value, Mm -hmm. multiples above the premium. We're in the 10th year of a pretty good, design policy I mean I didn't design it and whatever but um, he loved it yeah right and so my question then is did the huckster know what he was doing (laughs) or was it ignorance on his part is he really are they really trying to help that consumer did the did they really have the consumer's best interest in all of that shenanigan and the answer has to be no If you're an Excel ninja and you have to use the third-party software to destroy a great product in force to sell another product, no, I'm not giving you a pass. No, I'm not. No, I'm judging the fruit. Mm -hmm. I'm not assuming angelic intentions, (laughs) especially if you've been a backroom technician and you've learned how to build illustrations for, you know, IMOs, independent marketing organizations. Yeah. And maybe your daddy and your uncle and your brother are in the life insurance business, and they've tried to do the same thing their whole career. I don't know. It's just legitimate questions. Right. Yeah. But listen, a- all of this is in love. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a very similar experience this week. Was it this week? Late last week? With the, so part of the- Today's the 11th. Yeah. One I day mean, before my birthday. The, the way business is going now, it's like- I. I'm fortunate to keep track of what day of the week it is, much less the number. Quit bragging, um, man. Uh, well, I'm, I'm just saying it's like, huh. but uh, had you know, part of the process with everybody new is if they have policies that are already in force, we're going to review them because uh, somebody who's one now of does my that people, automatically mean that you're going to replace them? And that's where I'm going. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I, like, I, I do want to check for fatal flaws, right? I don't want one of my people to have something that they didn't get for me, but I don't want it to blow up on them sure. anyway, right? And That's legitimate. And so we do check. And in this particular case, this individual had, uh, so to answer your question, no, right? Replacing, and this is what I explained to this individual too, replacing dividend paying whole life, especially if it's older, right? You didn't just get it yesterday but it's been around for a few years. In this case, he had had it for like nine years, this nine particular years. policy, yeah. Let me, can I interject here <clears throat> briefly? Because if you're, if you're 22 minutes into this, you're, I appreciate you, right? If, you're, if you are a practitioner, an agent, an advisor, and you want to replace policies, you know, um, I will buy 
legitimate <laughs> life insurance policies. I mean, typically structured policies from a mutual life insurance company. I'm just saying, and, and I may be subject to give more than what the client would receive in surrender value. So if you really want to do your client a service, of course, you'd have to fully disclose that it's not in the client's best interest to ever sell a life insurance policy on them. Mm. All right, we can do a whole episode about that, <laughs> life settlements. It is not in their best interest, no. right? But if they're so dang bad that you got to replace them, I'm just saying maybe there's people out there who understand the power of life insurance and are willing to pay more than what is in the surrender value. And if that's true, and it is, then do your clients a service. <laughs> I'm just saying. Fair point. And in this particular policy, like it's not the company it had come from, it's not you know the best out there, but mutual and- Hey, look at you being so judgmental. Legitimate, I mean, <laughs> it could have been better, but you know, highest cost portion of the life cycle of a policy is those early years, yep. and they had made it through those they early They gotta pay years, all those commissions, man. Well. And that's oh, that's okay. I was explaining to somebody 40 minutes ago. I was like, you know, it's going to be good. You're going to end up with more cash value and death benefit than you ever thought possible. Yeah. And it's okay to pay for that. It's okay to pay your dues. It's okay to endure that initial capitalization cost, right? That's okay. In fact, you have an opportunity to do it, and you should go do it, right? And Listen, he, there are a lot of people that are uninsurable. Right. A lot. Every day, somebody becomes uninsurable. Just don't be one of those people. Well, and so fortunately, he was insurable at the time, bought the policy, has paid premium, and we had we, we discussed the, the, the policy and you know he started to it, it could have been better, but I, I make I make sure to make the point that look, some life insurance is better than none. Uh, uh, some premium is better than none. Uh, a suboptimal designed policy is better than no policy at all, right? Uh, so it was progress and he made that he made the choice to pay that premium buy that policy based on what he knew at the time and he was given his best effort so it's like the cash value is going to be there you know eventually your people are going to get that death benefit income tax free it's going to be good right but if we can improve and in this case we could you know for the next round for the expansion of the system we'll improve and it'll just be better and Next time we come around, if there's ways to improve then, then we want to improve then too, right? So that's quite different than saying, oh, let's 1035 exchange that and replace it. And all that money in a great big first year premium. Uh-huh. And I'm just saying, I, it all over. I wanted to make that argument. <clears throat> the necessary elements were there to make that argument. Well, how about the but phone calls? Right. Uh, how about the phone calls? And the engagement, the emails and things that you get. Well, you know, I've had this policy for four or five years and it's time to buy another one. Yeah, hmm. hmm. And we set what up. What on there? You know, buy yeah. a policy every four years. And I've got to I've gotta assume that that comes from the noise, some of the early noise. You know, Nelson's book was printed in 2000. Equipment financing, he's illustrating four years of premium payments. And so people read that and then they assume it's like, oh, I can't take a loan until the fourth, fifth, yeah. or sixth year, or I need to buy another policy in the fifth year. So I'm always buying policies. So I'm always, and we've talked about that. Mm -hmm. The client is always in the position of the highest startup cost yep. phase of a life insurance policy. And I'm just like, 
man, they missed the philosophy. And I, and I really completely. do think they miss it because no, I, no question. Th- there are some like I don't think it's malicious. <laughs> most often, it's not malicious. I think right. it, that they just don't. I mean, some of these <laughs> I've seen from certain people who are active in the institute or who I know knew Nelson, and it's like, what? I mean, what did we miss? Yeah, you know, and. Anyway, in this particular case, this gentleman had it was a I think it was a nine year old policy, but he also had some that were like brand new, mm-hmm. like from a few months ago. So he buys life insurance. He buys life insurance. He understands the philosophy. Yeah. Uh, well, well, and he's paying high premium. And when I say high premium, I don't mean absolute value. I mean percentage of available resources. Right. He's channeling a lot of the money he is making into life insurance, which is good, and he's pouring it on, but. If the more engaged you are and the higher the level of premium you want to pay, I mean, you want it to be buttoned up and correct, right? And, <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Right. <laughs> I mean, well, Please. <laughs> yeah. And given his age, you know, he, his, the, his income trajectory and his, his, in, his income generating history, I mean, he's employed now in the middle of the corona hoax thing. Right and yeah, and the, the forced pandemic. criminalization of commerce. Yeah, <clears throat> it's, it's so if you're making money now and if income's going up now, what how are things going to look when think th- when the economic conditions improve? Oh, you that's you're assuming an awful lot there. Well, I'm. Wouldn't it be the, nice? The economic though, conditions going to improve. But wouldn't it be nice if <laughs> of they course did? His income's going to go up. Yeah. So wouldn't it be nice if he, if when that happens, he would have the ability to pay premium into a pre-existing policy that's only that has only since become more efficient. And so well, let, my, let point, me, let my, me add. my point here though is that in that, <clears throat> it was in this rare case where I was like, I mean, if it were me, I would replace it. But that's unusual. Yes. You know? I, I don't like replacing and most of the time it's not in the client's best interest. I say most of the time um, there should be no assumptions made. Yeah. You should determine, you should figure out whether if you're thinking of replacement, whether that's in your best interest or not. Yeah. Um, and you should do that with knowledge. All right. So um, I was going to say, though, if the income is going up and you're and you, you have the ability to expand your system or pay additional premium into existing policies, my point here, and I've said it before, and people have asked, and there's more work coming. You wouldn't believe how hard we work. Okay, I know we make this look easy, but um, I appreciate you. Um, all of the power uh-huh. in a life insurance policy properly designed is in the base premium. All of the power, the majority of the power in the early years is in the paid up additions premium. Now, you can chew on that, and I can prove with numbers later. <laughs> so, as you continue to pay premium, and I can make the case that you'd want to pay premium every day that your feet are on this earth. All right, not 10 years, not four years, not 20 years. You want to pay premium every day that you're still in the flesh. All right, my opinion, and I think I can, if I can't prove that, I can greatly support it. Now, In addition to that, you also want the contractual right to not pay a premium at some point of your choosing in the future. 
Right. Okay. So <laughs> it's, it's true. Um, so I'm just saying as you pay premium in the future, you want to pay as much base premium as you can get your wife to agree to. Because <laughs> uh, I'm... I don't want to make too many assumptions, you know, but um, listen, you're a good salesman. She married you. It's okay. You can (laughs) encourage her or help her understand the benefit. And I'm not, listen, um, you guys married up and you know it. Okay, so (laughs) my point is you want to pay a large base premium, as large as you can wrap your mind around, which means then you want to pay as high of a base premium in the early years as you can see your way clear getting past that loss of liquidity in the first couple of years. And whenever you see the uh, enticement to purchase a customized (laughs) policy, just, you know, fill out this and we'll send you an illustration that's customized. Really? Really? (laughs) Can you even do that? Especially if a premium to the base and a premium to the PUA, the two main components of an infinite banking concept policy, are fixed. All right. So, you know, I'm just saying if, you know, um, every infinite banking policy must be 90-10 or 80-20 or 70-30 or 60-40, Tell me what is customized about that? Mm-hmm. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. That is a wrong place to start from. Right? And I say that all the time, and I've said it many times. So my encouragement is I'm, I'm just saying the longer you pay premiums, the better off you'll be. The higher the base premium, the better off you'll be. And when you work with somebody who's competent and passionate, straightforward and honest, um, and has your best interest at heart, Yes, even though they're getting paid, and they should get paid. If you want them to work for free, shame on you. Yeah. Right? Um, and I know you don't. I'm just, for those people that that applies to, embrace it and yeah. hear it. <clears throat> if it doesn't apply to you, perfect. You know the kind of people that it does apply to. Um, you want to pay a high base premium. And you want to work with somebody who can articulate the benefit of you paying a high base premium. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Maybe even pays a high base premium in their own life. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> oh, wait a minute. So, yeah, and and I get it. I don't. I don't really. Well, I ask agents all the time. Uh, listen, <laughs> um, and I haven't had too many agents have the cojones to ask me the kind of premium I pay. All right. And God bless you because it's none of your business. <laughs> but when young men, I mean, whenever we were introduced, yeah, right. One of the first questions I ask you, mm-hmm. were you intimidated? Uh, I'm, I don't know if intimidated was the right word, but it was direct. I mean, I mean, it was, but it, that's all it was. It was a direct question. It wasn't right. meant to be intimidating. Yeah. Right. And it, I mean, right. So I'm just saying. I mean, I wish it was a higher number. You know, well, we all we feel had that, that conversation. Way. Yeah. Well, it was impressive. But it's like I had so. some, yeah. And it's a, you know, Oh, let me tell you, I started going too small. to school. It's like I was working full time, and I was way too small. It's <laughs> embarrassing, appalling. No. But you know what? I didn't know what I didn't know, and there wasn't. You know, you had Nelson's book. Nelson's one book: becoming your own banker. One book. Yeah. So 
And that's where we are. I had to add context to that too. It's like the history of the advancement of this idea is short. You know, the book only published in 2000. YouTube wasn't around. Podcasts weren't around. YouTube didn't even really get started until later, you know, further into the 2000s. Fax paper was rolled. Fax paper. I mean, (laughs) and so... even now, the number of podcasts that discuss the concept, I think ours is probably the most substantial. But, <laughs> but I mean, it's a limited number, but it, it is growing. And so you're starting it to is. get more and more voice. And so it, it looks like there's all of these different opinions. I think a lot of that, and, it, and there are, but I think a lot of that is just a natural consequence of the historical circumstances of how that, how this, how, how, IBC and media and marketing has developed. And unclear or undefined philosophy. Right. Right. Same. And we've just not spent, there just hasn't been a lot of time spent. When I have that conversation with people and we get into that philosophical stuff, it's like, oh, everything becomes clearer. You know, mm-hmm. I, I find a lot of times, especially, and it is something new. It's like life insurance for a lot of people is a new asset. The, this way of thinking is a new whole paradigm to them you know uh and and oftentimes whenever that happens whenever we're learning something new whether it's a skill or a concept or a technique or what have you we often don't know what we don't know well we can't know what we don't know exactly well at the time we don't know it at the time we realize (laughs) (laughs) who was that donald rumsfeld right yes two days before the pentagon gets blown up and two trillion dollars goes missing you know, we can't know what we don't know. We don't know what we don't know. We can't know what we can't know. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> yeah. But it's true. But I mean, it's true. And so, and I get, I just just today, having a call with a, a new guy. He was talking about, um, you know, he was concerned that he wasn't asking the questions the right way. And it's like. Which is a legitimate concern. Is, I appreciate him. Oh, absolutely. And it's like, thank you for acknowledging that. It's okay, like that, and it's all right to stumble through it at first. We're gonna, there's going to be a process. We're going to have sure. the calls we need to have so where, to where all that is tuned up and to where it's buttoned up nice and tight. Yeah. We're not and, guessing, we're not practicing. Right. There's no ambiguity, misunderstanding, it's clear. And that policy's not going to enforce nope. until it's all clear. And the why is understood. Right. And the how. Yeah, is addressed. And once that's done, though, once you have the philosophical conversation, once you talk through, okay, well, you know, what kind of financial objectives might we want to be thinking of in 50, 40, 30 years, wherever you happen yeah, to yeah. be? Five years, you ten know, what, years. What effect do you think you might want to have on the next generation? You know, oh, when you when you start squishing the base premium down to nothing in order to have high cash value year one. I mean, how much of that lifetime death benefit do you want to forfeit in order to accommodate your Well, and they don't know. The consumer preference? doesn't know. When they hear something like that, you know, I've got to go cash on cash, quote unquote, um, which, I mean, that's a term that is used an awful lot. I go cash on cash, premium, cumulative premium, cumulative cash value equaling. Mm-hmm. Some period in the future. And Nelson in equipment financing, it was in the fourth year. Mm. Right? So that is presented today, and, and it's nothing new today, right? I mean, I built 90-10 policies 10 years ago, right? By mistake, I'm not ashamed. I mean, I did it and I've corrected it, right? Um, but, you know, that's just the, uh, I, I'm just saying that to go cash on cash at some year in the future, 
Like that's the wrong place to start from. Right. You know, and I think it comes from the equipment financing because it happened in the fourth year where that must be right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and no, that's what you could do in 2000. Mm-hmm. Two CSO tables, commissioner standard ordinary tables. So life insurance has been repriced twice. Mm-hmm. This is 2020. Why? Because we're living longer. How do we know? The census. So it's not like these life insurance companies just like go to the back room and roll a bunch of bones and say, hey, how much can we get these people to pay? I mean, it's very scientific and very mathematical. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason life insurance is priced the way it is. It isn't, you know, built around how much commission you make. Right. I mean, oh my gosh. Most of these, most, uh, you know, uh, Corp, most companies in corporate America wouldn't work on the profit margins that insurance companies work on. But it's easy to demonize them and make them, you know, the bad guy, the life insurance or the health insurance, or just the insurance industry, because there's not clarity right. when people engage in health insurance, property and casualty insurance, life insurance, whatever it may be. There's not clarity. Wait a minute, my roof needs to be replaced and we're gonna start at you know, this 15,000 or $20,000 number, but it's not actual value, then there's depreciation, and then, um, oh wait, then there's the deductible and, and I've got a you know, $3,000 check to replace a $20,000 <laughs> roof. Somebody's gonna get bent out of shape. Yeah. You know, and I mean, so I'm just saying, when there is that lack of clarity, when there is that lack of understanding, the outcome is really not that good if you're contorting a policy, compromising the integrity of the policy structurally. Yeah. Uh, if you're um, jeopardizing some years in the future, whether it's 10 years, 11 years and beyond, seven years and beyond or whatever, you think about that. If I'm gonna jeopardize the majority of the future <laughs> to, to illustrate, to build an illustration where I'm going cash on cash in year four or five or six or whatever it may be, the consumer doesn't know behind the illustration what's what it takes to make those numbers appear on that yeah. illustration, right? And and I know it's like James, tell us what it is. James, tell us what it is. Um, I do tell my clients exactly what it is to to publish and broadcast to the big wide world I haven't done that yet because um, I just haven't okay I mean there's still more work to be done so when it is published to the big wide world here's the documentation mm-hmm. so which is needed okay lots of things are needed I mean it's all good things in time um, we we'll talk about limited resource consider the uh, psychological toll that is going to manifest out there in five years, six Listen, years. Listen, the, the life insurance companies deserve, start to they've earned every black eye that they get. My, and I've said it many times, um, these VPs all the way up, mm. I tell them, I don't, I don't hold back. I mean, <laughs> you hold back? What? Possible. <laughs> I mean, I tell them, it's like, my God, go go to the basement, right? You're 125 years old. You've got to have archives somewhere. 
Go to the basement, dig them up, and find your heritage and embrace it. Figure out who you are. You, life insurance company, all of them, across the board. Everyone, every mutual life insurance company doing business in North America. Put this on pause. Shut this down. <laughs> Go to your basement. Find the archives wherever they're at. Go through the archives. Look at your history and embrace your heritage. Yeah. So. It's an opportunity. It is. And, and what we're talking about, you know, this is nothing new. We, you sent a paper the other night. Mm -hmm. This is late at night, like 930. This, this you is know, what like, we do. <laughs> Read about <laughs> the history of life insurance in the middle of the night. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Solomon Hubner, we'll talk about him later, but this, I don't even know when that was 19, when was that book or that paper written? I don't remember. It was, it was it, fairly recent. He was looking back on a lot of other material that had been written since. Okay, so was, well, this material that he was looking back on was in like the early 1900s. Right. 1900 1920. to 1930. Yeah. What I seen. I only read the first 10 pages. It was late. I'm old. I need to go to bed. Right? <laughs> I got to get up early and work out. <laughs> and I'm just laughing because. What they talked about and argued about a hundred years ago is the same things that they're talking about and arguing about today in the life insurance industry. Yeah. Talking about commissions, talking about agents, talking about their character, talking about the life insurance company's um, competitive tactics. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh my gosh, you, I mean, and need for confirmation and validation. Oh, uh, yes. lobbying from to the federal government to try to you know get the stamp of approval from <clears throat> the the United States Congress. Please or name me essential. Uh, <laughs> and then you know, but it, even the, in the industry, you know, the designations. Uh, you know, we're going to clean these salespeople up and make them look legitimate and scientific. So yeah, all around how to manipulate the psychological. Yeah relationship between the advisor and the and the proposed client in order to get a sale going yeah. it's like maybe we should just talk about the value of what we're doing and they did too they did there was some discussion in the first 10 pages that i read there was there were individuals you know uh stalwart men of character i might say that were promoting the idea of individual control of your personal economy what? and it's like what happened to those voices? Why didn't those voices win out over, you know, this last hundred years? Mm. I mean, why is there just a remnant, you know, mm. a remnant? I mean, well, well, you got to wonder why. Well, the mutual funds came out in the 30s. You know, um, there's today the life insurance companies are in direct competition with other financial institutions, i.e., Wall Street, mm -hmm. you know, if you don't put your money into Wall Street, you know, then you may be able to put it somewhere else in your best interest. Huh. Um, huh. It's like maybe they had more money, you know, who, I mean, who, who writes the narrative? Yeah. 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 I'm just saying some of the arguments are, most all of the arguments are more than a hundred years yeah, old. Yeah, nothing new. Nothing new. Yeah. And a lot of the criticisms were correct. There are unscrupulous agents and advisors. I mean, there are. It's like you say, the industry deserves every black eye it's got. Uh, there's the the unfortunate part is there's legitimate justification for a lot of those criticisms. Yes, and it's like repeating the same errors, re, re, continuing to indulge in that need for third party validation or 
the next neat marketing tactic or whatever, rather than just focusing on the power. You know, if we focused on the the value and the the features of the product and its history and 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 just what can be done and how that accords with the development of one's financial goals over the course of their lifetime, we wouldn't need all this other nonsense. You know, I, and so I, to me, like when I first <laughs> when I first encountered a lot of these. Uh, conflicting opinions you know it, it gets frustrating at sure. first but it's like you know uh, if you want fast food go get fast food yeah you know that's available you want to go have that go have that you don't have to go there right you don't have to spend time with those people you don't have to serve as a consumer or a client to that type of individual I don't have to work with them you know uh, so it's okay it can be out there you know and it's unfortunate. Like I mentioned earlier, like there's people are going to be disappointed. They think that their the premium they're able to pay now, they're going to be able to pay in five, 10, 15, 20 years. It's going to be uncomfortable. And hopefully, they're still insurable no. at that time. No. Mm, maybe, mm. Uh, maybe. And I, I, regardless, even if they are hop back into that higher cost period of the life cycle, you know, there's going to be a lot of unhappy, dissatisfied people when the the fragile structure a lot of these policies begins to show and things start to crumble yeah um there'll be a lot of very happy people as well though with, absolutely uh owning properly structured dividend paying whole life insurance company or policies with well-run mutual life insurance companies that don't play games with their dividends mm -hmm. or their underwriting or their P&L <laughs> or their, you know, 45 executives that earn $20 million a year in salary pays for that. <laughs> I'm just saying. But if, but if I've heard their name before, if I've, if I've seen their marketing, their advertisements, <laughs> you know, it, it, who's paying for that? Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it's okay to tell them who you are and what you do. I mean, advertising right? is okay. Yeah. You know, when you have, a hundred executives, a hundred and fifty. I don't know the numbers that I've read were were there was old data mm. when I read it several years ago, but it was legitimate data. I mean, I can't. I mean, it was like over a hundred eighty, some at least fifty to a hundred executives with twenty million dollar annual salaries. Now, if that's older, say that's ten years old. Are you going to tell me they haven't expanded? They haven't given any raises? <laughs> I mean, oh my gosh. I'm like, wow, you you better write a lot of life insurance to get that paid for. Right. Uh, we've got uh, Joseph Belt's letters. He used to track. That's where the information yeah. came from. And he stopped in 2013, so who knows what the level of compensation for those big yeah. Eastern. <clears throat> All right, so companies. what else? What else do we have here? Philosophy, things assumed. There's a lot of things. I, I must say about classification, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm throwing, I don't mean to disparage anyone or, you know, in, anybody or anything, you know, but when I use terms like huckster, right, I mean, I'm, I'm classifying things by their major characteristics. Okay, so I'm just saying, you know, yeah, that's how they you classify things. People see it, because then they tell us about it. Sure. <laughs> I went through this program, or there's like the story you were mentioning earlier with the premium financing and the third party lending and collateralizing a policy. Oh, I didn't to, talk about that. I just talked about third party software. Oh, well. No, it gets worse. What, what we see, I mean, it's shameful. Some of it's shameful, right? And some of it, you're just like, 
I'm, I'm sorry that's even being done. Yeah. But not just in this industry, in every industry. I'm just saying that, listen, if you're vetting, if, if you're vetting this idea, if you've discovered this idea, I mean, you can get password life insurance. And, you know, it, it, I mean, legitimately, it's hard, or, it's hard for guys maybe in their mid-40s and up or people in their mid-40s and up because they have a preconceived idea of what life insurance is or where life insurance fits in a proper financial plan, right? <clears throat> right, wrong, or indifferent. Well, that perception is reality, you know, right? Your perception is reality yeah. to you. But where did that perception come from? You know, is it just the, you know, the people in church, you know, selling beans and rice and, and advertising and getting paid tremendous amounts of money for advertising? And I'm not disparaging that. I'm just saying, what, are they giving financial advice or are they selling advertisement, hmm. right? <clears throat> um, and then, while I'm there, and this isn't the first time I've talked about it. I mean, I've done a lot of talking over the years. I think that um, if you, preacher, preach the truth, they will come. All right? Because we all want the truth, most of it. And if you don't want the truth, you know, you probably shouldn't come back to this episode or this podcast because we're trying to promote what we believe to be true and point you in the direction of where you can vet this out to see if it's true for yourself. Yeah. Right? Whether you're, okay. But whenever I can go into the church, and sell all my products on what basis? And I'm saying the the preacher, in my opinion, and I have a lot of clients, evangelists, preachers, priests. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you preach the truth, they will come. So you don't have to bring in these other programs to better the position of your congregation, so they will give more money. And I just wonder sometimes if that is what goes on. You know, preacher, if, you're, if your flock, if your congregation was debt-free, they would give more money. I don't know that to be true, and I don't know that that's the sales tactic that is used in every church. Mm-hmm. And I think most of the people that participate in that, um, their hearts are in the right place. Yeah. Right? And this current version is just a, a remake of half a dozen earlier versions over the years. And my whole point being <laughs> that um, if you preach, declare, promote the truth, the the people that are looking for the truth will hear. Uh, they hunt you down. They will. So... I remember. I, wrote, I, don't, I don't. I'm trying to be hard on my preaching brother. I'm. Not, I'm really not. No, it's legitimate. And you know, if, if churches and elders and deacons and le- other church leadership knew what could be done with dividend-paying whole life in the nonprofit world, <laughs> it, would, it would change the whole landscape. You know, I had that article on uh, about uh, five IBC for five hundred one c threes on Medium. You know. It's like two years old now. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I still get random messages either on LinkedIn or comments about how you know they took that and shared it with everybody. And unfortunately, it doesn't. It usually doesn't result in anything. Well, here's how that goes that, in my experience. Mm-hmm. All right, James, this is the greatest idea I've ever seen. I cannot believe this. Is it true? Yes, it's true. They they agree or they 
decide for themselves that it's true. I wish I'd have done this 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. As a matter, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. My children are going to do it. I'm going to do this. And I would really like to uh, bring it to the church. Yep. But I can't because I have, you know, the 80 20 rule. 20% of the congregation probably supports mm-hmm. the organization in every organization. <laughs> like James, I can't bring it because, you know, some of our biggest donors are financial professionals. Uh-huh. That's been told to me personally, I don't know how many times. And, you know, what can I do? I'm like, yep, that's too bad. That's too bad. But, you know, you lead the way. All right, so. Yeah. That's what I tell people when they're asking, you know, how do I get other people to see the light on this? I'm like, just tell them what you're doing. And, and get them to read Nelson's book, Becoming right. Your Own Banker. Yeah. Tell them what you're doing. And tell them as much as you want to tell them. It's, yeah. it's your business. You ain't got to share any of it. Right. But to the extent that you want to show others what's going on, tell them whatever, to whatever degree you're comfortable. Tell them that. Yep. And, and then leave it there. You know, that if... Look, it sounds good to you, right? And if it makes sense in your life, maybe they'll see the same value. Maybe they won't, and that's okay too. You know, you can't. We can't control what other people end up doing with their money anyway. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> think about this for a minute. <clears throat> and I don't know the structure of all the congregations out there, but elders, deacons, bishops, archbishops, whatever, priests. If there's, I don't, I don't know. Just take ten elders. Bishops, board members, mm-hmm. um, deacons. If the church, 501c3, or the, and there's other structures, right, um, owned a policy on each one of them. <laughs> and those are rotating positions, right? Um, and maybe there's even some employees. You know, there's probably the church secretary who does all the work. We love you. <laughs> right. Um, if the church, and then there's the preacher, the pastor, the associate, the youth, I mean, the yeah. the members of the congregation, right? Um, not the members of the congregation, but the members of the organization. <clears throat> um, if the entity bought life insurance on each of those, and it could be just like a single premium. You talk about single premium, it's automatically a MEC, Modified Endowment Contract. Mm-hmm. You know, if I paid $100,000, and these are round numbers for illustrative purposes, and I'm not telling anyone to do anything other than think this through and discover or research to discover whether this makes sense for you or not, yep. okay? <clears throat> if I pay $100,000 premium today, it's typically in year three or year four, that the cash value is equal to the premium and I only paid the premium one time. Boom, can't even pay another premium. Single premium life. It is automatically a modified endowment contract. Mm-hmm. So that the, the character of the policy doesn't change. The entity is a non-taxable <laughs> entity. So the entity operates tax-free. Uh, so... I don't know. Maybe I have, you know, some of these mega churches, 100,000, 50, 25,000 a week? Yeah. A week? No wonder you're driving five Learjets at 55 million. I don't want to go down that road. I'm just saying. <laughs> now, we take a smaller congregation, right? Maybe it's a 5000 or $10,000 one-time premium or 2500 I don't care what the number is. Right. I really don't. 
The church's money must reside somewhere, just like yours. <clears throat> All right, so if the church continually purchased just one-time premium, single premium, if I bought 10, I'm the entity, I buy 10 single premium policies over any time period, you know every one of those jokers are going to graduate, hmm. and me too. And wait, oh wait, the, the young people coming up behind us, the church is going to live on. The church isn't going to graduate. I'm just saying, all of these small to mid-sized churches across North America could be free and independent in maybe two or three generations at most. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. And then you're no longer in a position to have to beg your people to buy a bus, to, to force an, or fund an outreach. And I'm not, I don't mean that in a disparaging way. But listen, if you don't have access to capital, then you're beholden to the third-party lender. So I might use the term begging, but, you know, and I've said it before many times. When I was young, my dad said, you know, James, I had to, when I went to the banker, I had to have my hat in my hand because mm-hmm. I didn't have any money. I needed access to that money. Well, when he was older, he graduated about 12, 13 years ago, um, <clears throat> before he graduated. You know, he's, we were talking about this. Again, it's one of the lessons I learned. He's like, James, now the banker has his hat, his hat in his hand when he comes to me. Mm. And just chew on that a while. <laughs> and it's like, when you, when you can experience that, I mean, I have literally thrown bankers out of my office. Young guys coming to me and, hey, Mr. Nether, we got this new program, blah, 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 blah. What is it, it you do? And I force them to buy a book. (laughs) And then I I don't throw them out of my office. I mean, I'm a gentleman. But I ask them politely, well, after you read the book, come back. Yeah. You think they read the book? They come right back? (laughs) I don't even know if they could read, but they had MBAs. Anyway. So that's what I'm That would be so powerful if you could get. And I've had a couple of clients try, uh, you know, to get their, their church or their spiritual community or whatever charitable organization they affiliate with to do it. And what do we do, James? What do we do? Get a book in all of their hands. Not one book that they can share. You got five deacons, get them 10 books in case they misplace one. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. Right, leave them laying around. Get them to read it and have them, let them hash it out. I had a uh, 2017, 2018, I don't know, we did a, uh, a not a clarity, not a not a clarity, but a Nelson Nash seminar in downtown Fort Worth, Texas. Mm-hmm. 2017 is that 2017 2018 I don't know my brother died that night oh remember yeah yeah you were there yeah anyway I digress um but I'm bringing that up because 2018 yeah okay Nelson was there Carlos Lara Bob Murphy David Stearns I mean it's a great event can't wait to host another one but I had a gentleman come up from the valley you know and Nelson asked me to reach out to him that he had met Nelson years previous, like probably 15 or 16, 18, 20 years ago uh-huh. from today. So, and he happened to be a preacher. And we, I met him there, you know, and he's seen Nelson. It had been several years since he had seen Nelson. It was Kumbaya, Love Fest. It was great. Mm-hmm. But um, he was telling me, I need, to, I need to get him on as a guest because he was saying, James at the churches would just understand and embrace this. He said, when I heard it umpteen years ago, the church purchased policies on me, the oh, staff, wow. and, and they financed everything since wow. then. So if he can do it, you can do it. Yeah. I'm just saying. Same principles. 
It's the same principle. Yeah. We just take Uncle Guido out of the equation. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Well, that wasn't in on the list anywhere. That so. wasn't either, but a little, it's pro, a little, it's a a little bonus. treat at the end. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, what else, young man? I'm good. I wanted Look, to. I hit that philosophy thing pretty hard. That's what I wanted to do. Philosophy is important. Get your strike, and it's okay. Yeah. Take the time, effort, and energy to get it right, and to work with people who share the same philosophy. Well, of course, that's, that's part of the fundamental philosophy. All right. The uh, I got to say that I think this is episode fifty-seven, and tomorrow's my fifty-seventh birthday. So. I thought Aww, that was interesting. Birthday. Thank you. I mean, Andrew came in and said that. He said, hey, Mr. Nethery. Yeah, yeah. It's like, this is going to be the 57th episode. Be sure and mention it. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm getting younger. All right, thanks for listening. Y'all have a good day. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.